Hello and welcome back to Mental Health Spot. This is Oli speaking. If you are under the age of 18, please consult with your parents, guardian, or a trusted adult before continuing to tune in to my podcast episodes. <sighs> so I was on my social media the other day, on Facebook in particular, and I made a post requesting topic ideas for the podcast and my friends came through I mean they delivered and I got some wonderful ideas and I really do plan to discuss in some capacity all of the ideas that were presented to me because they were just that good and that important to address you guys know me I like to balance things out Um, I like to have my lighthearted episodes, my fun episodes, my more serious episodes that are necessary for healing, you know, might feel heavy, but it's a necessity in order to heal. You got to face some difficult emotions sometimes. And so this particular episode is going to be a difficult one for me to record, but it is one that has been requested it is one of the topic suggestions it was requested by more than one person and so the topic is addiction particularly to drugs and alcohol I would like to do another episode about food addiction in the future And I will, but the focus of this particular episode is going to be addiction to drugs and alcohol, why it happens to some people, and how you can support someone that is an addict without becoming enmeshed, codependent, and therefore feeling burnt out as a result of trying to support this person. So, addiction. Well, this is really one of the hardest things for me to talk about, and I've actually made it pretty clear in my career that... whenever I've interacted with, you know, supervisors and whatnot, that I don't want to work with people who suffer from issues with substance abuse and addiction just because it's too close to home. Quick backstory, even though um, I'm sure I've referenced it to a certain extent throughout my episodes, um, I had a childhood best friend. Since the age of five, she was more like the sister that I never had. Growing up, we did everything together. We were attached to the hip. And she became addicted to drugs. Her behavior changed. She became a different person, a person that I no longer felt comfortable around, a person that I no longer recognized a person that I no longer trusted and 
I spent years trying to reason with her, plead with her. I would send her emails, letters. I would talk to her in person. I would beg her to get help. I would tell her that I would go with her to get the help. Um, I would find her resources. I would say, let's go to therapy. I'll go with you. I'll hold your hand. I would say, let's go to an NA meeting. I'll go with you. Um, I went to her parents and told them how severe the situation was getting. I went to her other friends. I pretty much exhausted my options. And she basically told me to my face that she wasn't going to change and that what she wanted was for me to accept this new version of her. And so I did probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because Anyone who knows me well knows that it's hard for me to cut people out of my life. Even when they've done me wrong. In any capacity. I'm very forgiving. I'm very tolerant. Probably not a great thing. Um, but it's me. Something I'm sort of learning how to navigate. And I told her, I'm like, I don't want to end our friendship. But I need some space from you and I need some space from this situation. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, abandon ship, but I did say I needed space from her and the relationship because it was taking too much of a toll on me. I was having panic attacks. I was crying. I was not okay. It was affecting me greatly. And I knew at that point that it was no longer good for me to be involved. Especially because she wasn't willing to get help. I would have bit the bullet had she been willing to get help and put my feelings aside any day. But she wasn't. And so I made the hard choice. I asked for space. She initially, you know, held on and, you know, showed up at my house unannounced. And, you know, I maintained my position that I needed space. She took it personally and cut off the friendship. That was around December of 2012. I went to the gym once. And I was, I was walking out of the gym. I saw her on the phone. I looked at her. I smiled. She looked at me. She like did a giggle. And she was on the phone with somebody. And I could tell that she was like saying like, oh my God, I just saw Olivia, you know? Anyway, that was the last time I ever saw her alive. Um, my mom ran into her once at a Navarro. 
she asked how I was doing. My mom told her I was doing, etc. June 2015. June 5th, 2015, to be exact. I check my voicemail and hear a message from her sister that she had passed away from a drug overdose. And so the last time I saw my best friend was in a casket. It seems unreal to me still. I've somehow convinced myself that she's still out there somewhere doing her thing and I just don't know where she is. I can't tell you how many dreams I've had where she's, you know, where she pops up and she's alive and she like faked her death and came back and the amount of joy that I felt seeing her in my dreams was unmatched. One of my recent dreams, um, she came to my house. This was, I think, the most recent dream I've had with her. She came to my house and I gave her the biggest hug and I'm like, where have you been? And she told me that she was away, that she was in jail, I think. She got out recently, that she faked her death, etc. I don't remember the logistics of the conversation. I just remember hugging her and it was the best feeling in the world. And then I had a daughter in the dream and she met my daughter and I was so happy that she was meeting my daughter and in the dream my daughter asked me how come Dia doesn't visit more often and I told her I'm like you see my daughter wants you to come around more And she just looked sad in the dream. Kind of like she knew that wasn't going to be possible. <sighs> I've had a lot of dreams with her. I remember another dream that her and I were driving in the car and I held her hand and I looked at her and I said, I've missed you so much. And she sadly said, I've missed you too. Some dreams feel very real like an alternate reality of sorts. Feels like the only way that I can connect with her. And so, for a long time I felt like maybe if I had stayed her friend, none of this would have happened. Her and I were so close. She was like my other half. And I was hers. But I learned to make peace with the fact that it wasn't doing me any good. She was refusing to get help. It's not like she was willing to get help and then I abandoned ship. I wanted to help her. She didn't want it. And she's an adult and she made her choices. And I know that I know that I know in my heart as much as I knew her before the drugs, 
that she absolutely would never want me to blame myself, that she absolutely would say to me like, you did what you had to do. You did the right thing for yourself. I was becoming toxic to you and you did the right thing. I know that I know that I know she would say that. And I think knowing her as well as I knew her has given me a sense of solace and comfort. So with that backstory being shared, now you guys understand a little bit about why it's triggering for me to even talk about this. I mean, it's also healing. Every bit is healing as it is triggering. Um, but that's part of it, you know? Um, and that's why I made the personal decision not to work with that population that has substance abuse issues. I respect those therapists that do the work. It's amazing. And my hat's off. I'm not saying I would never do it, but it's not my preference. I don't have a problem if someone tells me they do drugs recreationally, but once it becomes an addiction, remember there's substance use and substance abuse. Substance use is I use it socially, recreationally, etc. Substance abuse. Substance abuse issues are what I cannot deal with. Now, addiction. How does it happen? Is there a genetic component? The answer is yes, there is. If you have a history in your family of alcoholics or people with drug addictions, you are more likely to be an alcoholic or have some sort of dependency on a substance or a drug. Definitely genetic components. So you have to be very careful if you do have that extensive family history. Environmental factors contribute to addiction. What you saw growing up, what you were around, what you witnessed, if the people around you normalized alcohol and drug use. Might be easier for you to normalize it. And for you to adhere to that lifestyle. If you suffered some kind of trauma and you want to engage in some kind of escapism and you rely on the drugs or the alcohol or the substances to help you escape, self-medicating essentially, these are people that need therapy and medication management, but as opposed to being on the medication, they are self-medicating with drugs, alcohol, substances, etc. 
Addiction is a disease. And once you see it as such, your empathy for people suffering from addiction will definitely go up. They become addicted physio- uh, physiologically and emotionally. Now, emotionally, I pretty much already referenced that. The self-medicating aspect, the avoiding of their feelings, emotions, trauma, depression, anxiety, etc. The physiological aspect is the physical symptoms that start to take place when you become addicted to drugs and you go a certain amount of time without having access to said drug or alcohol leads to withdrawal symptoms, palpitations, shaking, overall feelings of fatigue, chest pains, chills, and so in order to satisfy your addiction, curb your feelings of depression, sadness, and physical illness as a result of not having it, you then turn to the addiction of your choice. And once you start to recognize that they cannot help it and they cannot control it, again, your empathy will rise. But it certainly doesn't mean that you shouldn't set very firm boundaries. And I'm heading in that direction now. Um, I will say this, for anyone out there that suffers from mental health issues, if you're suffering from addiction, I just want to let you know that depending on the substance you're using, it can exacerbate your feelings of depression anxiety, and it can exacerbate certain mood and personality disorder issues. I'm not going to go into every single substance and drug and break it down. Maybe not in this episode, maybe in a future one, but I will say this, alcohol for people that are depressed, recipe for disaster definitely exacerbates your depression. Ecstasy, aka Molly's, not sure what the kids are calling them these days. I got to do my homework on that. It releases serotonin in your brain all at once, leading to feelings of extreme euphoria and happiness and bliss. Serotonin, by the way, is a chemical in your brain that controls your mood. People that suffer from depression, for example, 
that are on medications that are prescribed by a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, they might be prescribed a medication that very slowly provides them with serotonin in order to stabilize their mood. Even out their mood. Reduce symptoms of depression. But what this ecstasy, aka Molly, does, it gives you that serotonin all in one rush. Making you feel completely blissful. And then the next day, when the drug wears off, what do you think happens? You crash. You completely crash. People have committed suicide after utilizing that drug. It is very unsafe. And so, with that being said, recognizing that the addict has no power nor control over being an addict, that the only steps from there on are to are for the addict to recognize that he or she has a problem, which is the hardest part for them, believe it or not. Once they've recognized that, then discussing treatment options with them. Typically and unfortunately, addicts change because of the drugs. Not so much because of the drugs themselves, although that has also been known to play a role. Um, The chemicals in these drugs has uh, been known to change personalities in people. You know, it it alters certain qualities that you may have um, or enhances other qualities. But I'm not referring so much to the chemicals and the drugs. I'm referring more specifically to the uncontrollable desire to get the drug of choice becomes a priority. So much that your behavior completely changes and you become so centered on obtaining said drug that you are not concerned with anything or anyone else around you. So there are major changes to your behavior. And a person that was not otherwise selfish can become very selfish. And egocentric. And so... Step one is to get them to admit they have a problem. If they're not there yet, then you letting them know. Hey, I love you. You have my support if you're willing to go get help. But in the meantime, I'm going to take space from you. Don't be afraid to set a boundary. I was afraid, but I did it to the most important person. One of the most important human beings that has ever existed in my life. And like I said earlier, I know that I know that she gets it now. You cannot enable them. I'm not saying be mean or be rude or be cold or be harsh. That's not right. But I'm not suggesting either that you enable them. 
What does enabling look like? Not telling them what you really think or how you really feel or pretending like they don't have a problem and just sort of still spending time with them and living in their denial with them. Be honest, be sincere, let them know you love them, you care, you wanna help and you wanna support them if they're willing to get the help they need. And if they're willing to get the help they need, have some resources ready. If you live in the Miami area and you dial 211, 211 is available 24-7. You can call them and they have all sorts of resources available to you. Have some resources ready. Because you don't want to give them a window to change their mind. So make sure you do your research. Then confront them. Let them know that you care, that you love them, that you want to see them thrive and not just survive. But that in order for this friendship and this support to continue, they must get help or they will no longer have access to you. And that it will break your heart, but that you cannot continue to watch them go down this rabbit hole. And what happened to me may happen to you. The person you love might end up dead. And I hate to say it like that, but I gotta let you know that that is a risk. That is a risk that you take when you let the person go. Cause they either hit rock bottom and decide Shit, I really gotta change. Or they hit rock bottom and they never get out. You cannot enable them. Because if you enable them, the chances of them dying because of their addiction is a lot greater than if you set a firm boundary and say, I love you. You mean the world to me, but I cannot stand by and watch you do this. Let me know when you are ready for help and I will be the first in line. And that's what I told her. Let me know when you're ready. I'll be there. But she was never ready. And I have to understand and accept that I'm not to blame for that that I exhausted my resources and my options. I even went to her parents. I threw the girl under the bus. I was like, your daughter has a drug problem. What are we gonna do? That's the best feedback I can give any of you. Do not enable. Be kind, be compassionate, but be firm. And let them know what they're going to lose. If they continue down this path. And nine times out of ten. They'll come around. They'll get the help. It might be a trial and error process. They might get the help and then. Regress. Relapse. That's part of it. 
some of them may never get the help. But you won't get them there faster by enabling them. And that is something I had to learn. So basically, in short, understand that it is an illness. Understand that they cannot control it. But they can absolutely choose to get help. There are resources available. And you can absolutely be the catalyst to inspiring them to get help. But remember, you can't control them. And what can end up happening in situations like this is codependency. And what have I said about codependency? Codependency is when people knowingly or unknowingly unpack their problems onto you and you take them on. And that's what started to happen with me and my friend. I was like making myself responsible for saving her. And this is just my friendly reminder that you're not responsible for anyone. All you can control is saying, I love you. Please get help. I'm here when you're ready. That's what you can control. Whether they choose to do it or not is on them. And I know that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, but I want to make sure that you know That this is hard. But there's only so much you can do. Realistically. And so I hope this was informative. I hope you learned something. I look forward to your feedback. Comments. Questions. I'm here. I am grateful beyond words. And I will say this every episode until I'm blue in the face for how many of you are listening to me and learning from me. It's humbling. And how much I've learned from every single person that listens to me. And just know that each and every single one of you, whether I know you personally or not, truly means a great deal to me. And you supporting me and my passion for mental health is the best gift you could ever give me. There's just nothing better. And so I love you all. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Until next time.